Now, more than ever, the great people of Tennessee are frustrated with the current direction we're headed as a state and as a country. We, the people, need to take a stand together, not simply as individuals, but as a force of nature in order to protect individual liberty. On this show, you'll hear from three voices who lead an organization called Tennessee Stands. Myself, John Fender, the Director of Communications, Gary Humble, the Executive Director, and Kevin Kukaji, the Chairman of the Board. We'll sit down with politicians, business leaders, community organizers, and citizens just like yourself to discuss the ideas, action points, and strategies needed to boldly take a stand and assert the unalienable rights given to us naturally by God. Welcome to the Freedom Matters Podcast. Well, Kevin. John. I'm sitting here. We are all sitting here with a copy of the book, Unapologetic for Liberty. The day has come. It happened. I'm so excited. Kevin finally pushed the button. He hit, he, he hit submit, <laughs> and there is a book. There is a book. And if it were that easy. It's, uh, me and Gary were talking earlier, it's, it's our kind of book. Yeah. It's short, to the point, you read it quickly, large, large lettering. Yeah, I like this kind That's of for my eyes. I mean, right. I feel like I can go home and like get it done. Yeah. You know? What did you, ca- you called it either And a, that excites me. A short book or a very long speech. Yeah, it's either a very long speech or an extremely short book. I like that. I like that. Well, I'm sure we'll put stuff up everywhere. Well, and and knowing and what I love my my excitement about it though, knowing Kevin is that you know how when you you know what I don't like about books? Hmm. You know, you got your typical what two hundred forever to read two hundred two hundred fifty <laughs> page book. Well, it's like you get through the first few. You you can tell that the author to fill the space of a normal book is giving you a bunch of fluff, hmm. and I get really frustrated reading through the fluff to get to the meat. Knowing Kevin, I feel like I'm going to go home, I'm going to sit down for an hour, I'm going to finish this book, and I will have gotten to the meat. I won't have to read through all the fluff. You didn't have any appetizers. It's all meat and potatoes. Give me the entree. Boom. Here it is. (laughs) Done. And you know, one of the hardest things to do is to write with brevity. It's a lot easier to write words and words and words and words, but to narrow them down, to edit them to and really to distill them to their essence, it's one of the hardest things to do. So that little book was a lot harder to write than writing something that would have been four or five times mm. as long. Mm. Which, you know, I, I think our entire team at Tennessee Sands will appreciate because Kevin was able to distill an entire book. My team complains to me because all of my videos are like 15 <laughs> minutes. And I it's a, I cannot get it down to under five minutes. I just can't. Do, but Kevin succeeded. Wait, my book is not five minutes. No, no I know. That I will know, definitely but, take an hour. But in book terms yeah, versus video yeah. terms, Your book like, is the you did it. of what yeah. Gary's videos need to be. So and, I need to learn. And remember, too, I think it's worth restating, the objective of this booklet, booklet and you can tell by the packaging, it's, it's a gift like book, right? Yeah. It has a it has a beautiful, very very excited and proud about the the foil stamp on the front, the texture, the paper, all of those things which contributed to the delays in the printing. It wasn't just taking your run of the mill white paper, black print. Uh, uh, what's one of the regular fonts that everybody Calibri font or something yeah. like that? I didn't use any of those things, and so it's it's a classy book on purpose. It's meant to uh, stick out on your shelf, but it's also meant to be small enough to fit 
in the interior pocket of a man's suit jacket, into your briefcase, into a woman's purse, uh, into your glove box in your in your car. And all of that, because I've said this before, we're not selling this book. We're distributing it as far and wide because it's it's intended to be like pamphleteering of days of old. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to do it in in a form that would get people excited to pass it around and to distribute it to their friends and family and anyone who might be influenced by it. So I do appreciate the promotion of it here, and um, we're going to find a way to distribute it to some of the Tennessee Stands audience. Yeah, I'll, I'll put this out there. I'm not exactly sure how we're going to filter um, through all of our supporters, uh, all 20,000 of you across the state of Tennessee that get this book. But here's but what I can guarantee for sure is that every supporter of Tennessee Stands that gives a recurring monthly gift, you will absolutely get this book. So I don't care if it's $5, $10. Some of you give $100, $500 a month. I, whatever, Wherever you are in Tennessee, if you are a recurring monthly donor of Tennessee Stands, you will get this book. So if you're listening to this and you are not currently a monthly donor, uh, you may want to go to TennesseeStands.org and take care of that and sign up as a monthly recurring donor with, a, with Tennessee Stands. There, that is. I was appreciate that. that. That was great. Yeah, yeah, thank you. You're hired. <laughs> <clears throat> so Gary wanted to talk about today about a specific bill that was passed. But mm-hmm. before we get to that, like as we get to that, let's say this: there's a there's a slightly selfish reason why we started this podcast. From from my standpoint, is that, for example, this subject we're about to get into, I don't know anything about it. So the selfish point on, on my part is that I get to sit in the room with the two of you and just hear you talk about this stuff and learn. So that's what I'm going to do here. This is a bill that I didn't, I knew was coming, but I didn't really <laughs> understand the, the gravity behind it and what it actually does. And now that we're talking about it and it's actually it's passed, correct? It is passed. And, and you're a voter, so you should have a strong opinion on this bill. Howard. Correct. Um, but yeah, I get, very current too. Current event. I get to sit in the room with two very smart men and hear this talked about. And so, um, ready, go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, no, no, no pressure, Gary. It's quite a thing. And I, you know, I don't remember the bill number, but I do remember. I do know the bill sponsors. So in the Senate, this was sponsored by Senator Frank Nicely. Patriot, by the way, uh, I have a great relationship with Senator Nicely. He's very supportive of, of our efforts at Tennessee Stands and, and appreciate his leadership in the Senate. And in the House, it was run by um, Representative uh, David Wright out of the uh, Knoxville area. So, you know, the let's just be frank, uh, no pun intended to mm. Representative uh, to Senator Frank. Um, <laughs> but the bottom line is that I and I look, I've gone back and forth in my mind on how I feel about this bill because it's in one sense I appreciate the outcome. Because I because I don't like what was being done. On the other hand, I have to consider, you know, is this constitutional? Is this really the remedy to the problem, passing this law? So we had an endorsement. Uh, here in Middle Tennessee, we have a very contentious congressional race in the 5th Congressional District. One of the reasons is because of redistricting. So this this was very it was very volatile in how this this whole thing was redistricted. You had the fifth congressional district, which for a very very long time has essentially been Nashville. It's been Davidson County, and sort of easing out west to Dixon, which means politically it has been Democrat, a Democrat. Now, 
for oh, for well over a hundred years mm-hmm. been a Democrat. These these districts have to do they have to be redrawn every ten years, or it's just yes, they made do. the decision whether they should redraw no, no, based no. on it's every population. ten years. They, they are they are done redrawn. per the census. So you, you have to adjust for population. So eleven years ago, did this district look very different than it did for the past ten years? No. Okay, so they didn't really redraw anything. Not to any great degree. Okay. No. All right. So for the first time, it's been significantly changed. And it's it's changed from the 5th Congressional, which was has traditionally been Nashville. It's changed from the very southernmost part of Davidson County, and then including Wilson County, the um, portion of... Williamson County, east of Interstate 65, pretty much, and a little bit north, kind of your northern parts of Brentwood and and those areas, Murray County, Lewis County, and Marshall County. So what happened is you had a a majority uh, Republican legislature that took the opportunity per the census to redraw the 5th Congressional District in such a way, I mean, we call this gerrymandering, right? Look, it's what Mm -hmm. they did. I mean, Mm -hmm. let's just be honest. It's what they did. To redraw this district to to absolutely become a Republican district, there's there's no way you you just cannot add the numbers up in such a way where a Democrat wins this district. It's not going to happen. Yeah, and it's important that our listeners know that this happens in every state, and when the Democrats are able to control the redistricting, we complain about it. They've done it all the time. Yeah, it's not <laughs> like right. it's it's just funny to me when the other party, the party that's out of power that doesn't have the ability to make the change always complains and files lawsuits and yeah but so, yeah you're fi- you're right it, it, there have been some funny looking districts because of the this essentially went from a a predominantly metro district to now a predominantly rural very rural okay. district yes it's always e- been a hard word to say by the oh, way oh that's a rural, ter- rural. terrible word <laughs> urban so much easier but oh, rural yes <laughs> rural yeah no, I mean absolutely. And look, if if I'm if I'm wearing my Tennessee stands hat, right? Like, yes, I'm a conservative, and do I want conservative outcomes? Yes, hundred one hundred percent. But when also wearing my Tennessee stands hat, when you're arguing, you know, from a liberty perspective and from a constitutional basis, in general, do I support the controlling party? using workarounds to gerrymander the hell out of a district for their own gain when they know that the only reason they're doing this is is to is it's the ends justifies the means right mm. um so that we use the available law without ah maybe breaking it to to keep power you know i i don't know at the end of the day that it's something i necessarily agree with i i don't think i think there are better ways to go about doing this that is that is more representative of liberty and all voters involved than just the ends justifies the means which essentially is what's happened here so we've we've drawn the democrat out of the district that's mm-hmm. that's quite clear and he's going to retire too right he's he saw that yeah i mean the moment the map was approved he's like i'm out yep, yep. john cooper who's yep. served for how many years i think i think either almost 30 or over 30 you yeah. know quite some quite some time so yeah retires rather than going through spending the money yeah for a known defeat so we're left with how many candidates currently gary so now 
Republican candidates. So now the Republican field is flooded because we know this is now a Republican district. And I, I think, I don't know the exact number, but I think we're north of 15. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So what has happened is some carpet bagging, right, mm-hmm. that, as we call it. It's not only Tennesseans that have now put their name in the hat. You've hey, got, hang on, hang on. Why do we call it carpet bagging? Because Where does it, that term come from? Well, it's folks that move here with the specific purpose of running for office. So, so they're not from here. They wouldn't have moved here. They don't care about Tennessee. They're just coming here because they see an opportunity to run for office. Yeah, but like I'm trying to figure out, Kevin, the scholar maybe can tell me. Where the actual term carpet bagging, like what, what does that mean? Yeah, I'm actually going to look it up. Okay, I can't right. take credit for being a scholar, but while you guys keep talking, I'm we'll going to look there. it up. Like okay. why we call it carpet yeah, bagging. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so Kevin's going to find the answer okay. while I'm talking. All right. So, so the thing that we're talking about here, the reason that we're talking about it, while this was being redrawn, the Save America PAC, which belongs to former President Donald Trump, endorsed a candidate named Morgan Ortegas Mm -hmm. for the 5th Congressional District. Now, the interesting thing is that when they made the endorsement for Morgan Ortegas, she's not even announced or filed as a candidate. Mm. The the endorsement literally stated, if Morgan Ortegas chooses to run, we endorse her. I don't think that's how that works. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... But then again... Trump's never done anything how it works. No, so. no, that's true. That's true. He's sort of done his own thing. Right. Kudos to him for doing so. But yeah, I don't know that that any other political candidate has gotten an endorsement um, if they choose to run. Right. You know, so good, good on you, Miss Ortegas. I mean, what what a feat. <laughs> um, so anyway, you know, she's she's lived in D.C. for a while. She's been a, a political operative, a member of the of the Trump administration, worked um, directly under Secretary of State, then Secretary of State uh, Mike Pompeo, uh, spent a lot of time overseas. I mean, you know, look, for all intensive purposes, did some, I think, what most would consider some really great work in the Trump administration. So, I mean, on that front. Um, appreciate your service. Thank you. But next thing you know, pulls down a Trump endorsement, comes by a condo or whatever she bought here in the 5th District, and now you're running for Congress and you've like never been in Tennessee mm-hmm. and you don't even know anything about Tennessee. Mm-hmm. She did a radio interview, doesn't even know what interstates run through her district. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty simple stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Has no concept of what counties... She's never heard of Lewis County and Marshall County, you know, and she's running for Congress. So a lot of folks took issue with that. Kevin, would you have a problem with that if you if look, I mean, let me just ask you a question. Even from a federal standpoint, if you have if you're if you're supposed to elect someone that represents your interests, should they at least have heard of the name of the county (laughs) that you live in? Well, if they haven't and they actually lived there, that's one issue. Yeah. It's it's kind of hard to believe that they could live in the area and not know those counties. So I would I would make the distinction between whether the person has lived there and, and participated in the actually been a resident. I know there's we're gonna get to the constitutional issue in a in a minute, but um <laughs> 
By the way, before I answer that question, but let me ask you. Wait, this. no, no. Before I answer that question, I want my mind is distracted. Another question. My mind is distracted about carpetbagger because I looked oh, it up. Right, yeah. And now I remember it had okay because because carpetbaggers are people that move from one area into your area to run for office. Uh-huh. That term came from their cheap suitcases. It's a form of cheap luggage made from carpet fabric. So that's why they called them carpet baggers. Oh. You know, quick, hurry up, fill my bag, go to the next state. Gotcha. So that's that's okay. what the term All means. Right. Interesting. I had forgotten that, so I'm glad I could look it up again. If that was me, I even kind of like I'm, I'm from I'm originally from South Louisiana. The car that's even more expensive. I mean, we just use trash bags. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're trash bagger. I, I'm, I'm I'm a leather bagger, as you can oh, see right down that's, there. That's I, bougie. That's up there. <laughs> I just like leather bags. Uh-huh. Nice. So now that I'm not distracted by the exciting answer to that question, ask me the question you're going to ask. Well, would you at least expect that whoever you are going to be voting for as your U.S. you know state representative would uh, you know your congressional representative would you at least consider that maybe there's someone else in your locale that even knows who yes. this person is? Absolutely, I, I think it offends the sensibilities. Setting aside. Even the imposition of the federal constitution, and I know that there's there's lawsuits already filed over this um, law that we're talking about, but it offends the sensibilities because nobody wants someone from another area coming in and grandstanding and effectively stealing the election by popular national popularity. It gets to the same core issue that our founders were concerned about by allowing a general vote rather than an electoral college vote. You know, electoral college is so important to secure the liberties of each separate jurisdiction, each state, because the states form the federal government, and yet the calls for a national government would then result in people from Los Angeles and New York and the heavy population centers affecting policy for Tennessee, affecting policy for Lincoln, Nebraska. Well, it's a very similar um, result when you bring someone from another district who could be popular because he or she was on a national stage and gets national endorsements, has the money to run national ads, and knows, as you say, nothing about the local population, couldn't possibly represent their interests effectively. Yeah, I I keep coming back to it offends the sensibilities. I think the local people would not be well represented, which – then ask the, the question it asks or begs is, is this truly representative government? Who are they representing in that case? That's a great question. Mm. So, yeah, are they representing the interests of, of, you know, the former president or the local people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is a reasonable question. So, yep. so, so it's reasonable to say that, you know, a lot of local Tennesseans should be pissed off that someone came in and endorsed a candidate that we've never even heard of. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's a that's a reasonable person's assumption. Which, by the way, if we can put a little asterisk here or a footnote, the whole concept of endorsements really bothers me because it gets us away from – first of all, if, if I were running for office, I would never want to rely on the endorsement of someone else. I know that people think that that's a political reality, but I would never – Except if I'm a voter, I don't vote for somebody because somebody I know endorsed them. I'm going to investigate that person's voting record, integrity, who are they as a person, will they represent me? I'm insulted if somebody says, well, vote for them because you fill in the blank said to vote for them. I'm even more insulted when someone tells me, like the person who's running says, 
I need to be voted on by you. I need to be selected by you because somebody important in the world has said that I should run. I'm like, that, that's an insult to my intelligence. And it should be an insult to the intelligence of every American. Again, mm-hmm. our founders would roll over in their graves to think that people are being put into office by the power of endorsements. That's like peer pressure. That's nothing to do with critical thinking. Well, it's the same idea in marketing. Yeah. Throughout all of marketing. Mm -hmm. I mean, just because, you know, somebody, some famous football player gets on TV and says, tells you to buy a Ford truck, it doesn't mean you're not going to go to the dealership and drive that truck and inspect that truck and feel it, figure out what it feels like. And you're just not, you're not going to buy it sight unseen just because he told you to. But even there, I can appreciate that influence. That influence doesn't bother me as much because it's not as critical an issue for my liberty or the protection of my sovereignty. True. It, it, I could end up buying a truck that I hate. Yeah. Um, I could up, end up buying a lemon. I could end up buying a product that I don't like or investing in some project that I don't believe in. But, and again, I'm not suggesting that we should do anything to ban endorsements. Don't Don't misunderstand me. But... I do suggest that people should use their own minds and ignore endorsements. I just don't think they're they're worth anything. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So now back from our Ford commercial break. <laughs> um, you know, yes. Yeah, so, so to the bill. Um, so reasonably so, a lot of folks are upset over this carpetbagging situation. And so now we get to the constitutional issue. The legislature ran a bill that essentially you know, changed the requirements of what's needed to run for a congressional office in the state of Tennessee by, in addition to the United States constitutional requirements, we're now making law in Tennessee that simply said, because we didn't address it, by the way, so it's worth noting, our Tennessee constitution does not address this and state law has not addressed anything regarding what it what's required to run for Congress. We've left that to the United States Constitution. But now we're saying if you are going to run for a U.S. congressional office in the House or the, or the Senate, you now, the way it's worded is we're going to mimic the requirements to run for a state representative or a state Senate position in our General Assembly. We're going to mimic those requirements specifically for a primary election. So it's it's a little nuanced and that's a little complicated, but let me break that down. So now what they're saying is if you're going to run for a U.S. congressional seat, you must be a resident of the state of Tennessee for three years, a minimum of three years, and you must live in the district for a minimum of one year. And you must have those qualifications if you're going to run in a primary election, but not a general election. And I will I would venture to say that the reason they did not make those requirements applicable to the general election is because they knew that a court would rule that unconstitutional because the United States Constitution I believe only requires that you be a minimum of 30 years old. I think I've got to go back and look at this and I'm going to look at this when I'm done talking. I think a a resident of the United States for seven years, and the wording of the United States Constitution is an inhabitant of the state by which you will represent. Mm -hmm. So the United States Constitution does not place a 
uh, residency requirement. You simply have to be an inhabitant, not not a time period on the residency requirement. So l- let me just ask for the first question that I have. For anyone who might may be a little fuzzy on the primary and general election distinction, what this stops is somebody from running on either of the two main parties sides, right? For the because pr- that's what the primary does. Well, yes. So if you're going to run in a primary in the state of Tennessee, you can. This gets even more complicated. Than I'm simplified. Typically, that means if you're running as an as a Democrat or a Republican. Mm-hmm. You can run as a minor party like the Libertarian Party or the Green Party, but your your burden to get there is much higher. State law requires you to get a – you only need 25 signatures on your petition to run as a Democrat or a Republican. For example, if I were running for governor and I wanted to run as a Democrat or Republican or an independent, I would only need 25 signatures on a petition. But if I were running for governor and I wanted to run as a libertarian or a member of the Green Party, the Conservative Party, the Patriot Party, name your party, I would need over 52,000 signatures to qualify as a candidate for that party on my petition. So state law already as it is essentially creates and emboldens and lifts up a props up a two party system in our mm. state. If you are running as an independent, because you're not running as a member of a party, you don't have a primary. You will only run in the general election. So that's the way it's structured currently mm. in the state of Tennessee. Okay. <clears throat> Do you want me to read that constitutional provision, by the way? Yeah, go for <clears throat> it. All right. This Art- is federal constitution. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Article 1, Article section, one section 2. Article 1, section 2. Yeah. yeah. Second paragraph. No person shall be a representative who shall not have attained the age of 25. That's So I was wrong, not 30, 25. All right. um, who has been seven years a mm-hmm. citizen of the United States and who shall not, when elected, be an inhabitant of the state in which he shall be chosen. See, so that's that's the basis of this lawsuit, certainly, right? Yeah. Well, I'm looking at the the... So when they list on the lawsuit applicable law, that's the first thing they list. <laughs> so the United States Constitution, if you're running for Congress, only requires that that at the time you're elected, that you live in the state that you represent. So we're adding, I mean, we're adding you're an adding additional, additional condition. Yeah. yeah. And the question is, is a state allowed to add additional conditions? And of course, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know the answer to that directly, but... I do think it's an interesting constitutional question. If you think of how the courts ruled during the 2020 election, how much authority the courts gave to the states actually to violate the Constitution and to violate even their own state statutes uh, for convenience, I'd be hard-pressed to believe that the court would be able to justify disallowing the state to carry on with this, having just so recently given such uh, power to the states. And yet... We know that the left is trying to nationalize elections. They're trying to federalize it. Um, so this would be an opportunity for them to use the courts to federalize the elections to say, you know, slap the hands of Tennessee, say, nope, you can't do that. Well, I'm not. I'm not. In, I'm not advocating for violating the federal constitution. But wouldn't it be fair to say that our federal representatives of our state and the people voting for these people are people of the state? Mm-hmm. So wouldn't it be fair to say that the state gets to make 
the rules on who these people are and how how we elect them? Absolutely. Yep. So, John, I think you that is a great question. So the question you pose well, this is— This is not a federal election. We don't have people from Nevada voting on who represents well, Tennessee. Well, it is a federal election in the sense that this is a—we're placing office. a federal office. To represent us. But, it's, but, it's a, but that is considered a federal election. Right. Yeah. But we're sending these people. We're to the, represent the, our state. The of course, members our of the state of Ten- the, yes. the residents of the state of Tennessee are sending these people to the federal government yeah. to represent us so, in the federal government. So, what? So, your question is: Do us as Tennesseans have the ability to place additional requirements don't, on those we want to send to represent? Don't us? we want to be the ones who right. dictate who those people are? And again, I, I point back to those cases from 2020, many of which went to the Supreme Court in accelerated fashion. And time and time again, the current U.S. Supreme Court kept pushing it back to the states and saying, Wisconsin has the right to do this. Um, who is it? Georgia has the right to do this. They were, even though these were egregious violations of their own state laws, the courts said, essentially, these states have carte blanche to do whatever they want to do in their state election, even though it was federal election, Mm -hmm. with how they choose their electors, how they go through that process. So I would think on that basis alone that any lawsuit challenging this is going to be very difficult to overcome. So do you think this is— Which is good, to your point, because it would give Tennessee the power to do this. Right. I'll I'll throw this at you guys and see what you guys think about this. Is this, this, could this be considered some sort of historical context issue? When the federal constitution was written, obviously people weren't moving around and as right. transitory as they are now. So is this like is this something that the founding fathers couldn't even at that point imagine? Have like people just buying a condo in a in a county from from across the country just to say they live in this state? I mean, that, I, I don't even know if that was in the mindset back then. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but I guarantee you, there's a lot of scholarship on that question now, because it is a very good question, something I was thinking of. And I think that that this issue first came up during the Civil War Mm. um, and Reconstruction. So even then, which was, you know, less than 100 years after the Constitution was ratified, you had this this happening then. And even then it wasn't, um, the, the travel had improved from 1787, 1789 when it was ratified, until 1865, but think of the advances now in technology and how easy right. it is to jump from state to state and to pick up and move. Yeah, I, I think that our founders, again, would be shocked that that wasn't their intent. John, give yourself some credit because I think— He raises good questions, <laughs> doesn't he? pat myself on the back. Well, well, I think you just asked the central question. I think what the court is going to have to determine uh, here is— what when in Article One, Section Two of our United States Constitution, what did the authors of our Constitution mean by the word inhabitant? You know, did they mean when they considered that you are an inhabitant of the state that you represent? Did that mean that you like you just showed up mm-hmm. and ran for office, or did it mean that you have inhabited that place and you have been a uh, productive part of your community and people know who you are and your kids go to school there and you live there. Is that what they mean? Because I will tell you, uh, most people will say, referencing Morgan Ortega specifically, that you know she's got an address here, but pretty confident in saying that as she represents the people of the state of Tennessee, if she, if she should prevail and if she's on the ballot, 
She will have an address here in the 5th Congressional District, but she will live <laughs> in live Washington, D.C. Yeah. Yeah. And her kids will go to school in Washington, D.C. So is that what the founders would, would consider an inhabitant? Probably not. That's Well, yeah, that, in my, uh, the answer to that question is no, because that's not what they were then. Yeah. Yeah, they exact. went to D.C. for a while, and, and they then came they came home. home and took care of home needs. Yeah, I I know I've said this phrase now three or four times today, but that would clearly offend the sensibilities of our founders. The idea that setting aside why or how she was qualified to be elected, the fact that these representatives never go home to live in their home state, except when they're campaigning— Right. Every right. two years to come course. back and to tell us they're going to protect our liberties and then they go live in D.C. and undermine them. When they when I use the word inhabitant, and again, I know there's scholarship on this, you can look it up, but I'm convinced and I'm pretty confident that they did not mean someone who's just flying through for a couple of a months with an address, <clears throat> excuse me, to be able to get elected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so I think it's safe to say that that's really going to be the central question of the court is what does it mean to be an inhabitant per Article 1, Section 2? And also, does a state have a right to place further requirements by law or by its constitution on how it chooses its representatives in the federal government? I mean, again, I, w- I would say yes, I'm a, I'm a state's rights proponent. Let's take that the other way. Yeah. What, if someone says no, what would be the reason why would they would say no? Well, because they would say that, well, no, it's a federal office and the United States Constitution gets to define that would be their argument. You know, a, a state a state should not be able to bring greater definition to the Constitution's requirement for a federal office. Uh, and that, that would be their argument. But my pushback on that was, yes, it's a federal office, but it's a, it's a federal office consisting of my representative of my state. And in a, in a federalist system of government, I should have a right as a sovereign state to determine the requirements as to how and who I'm going to send to represent me in the federal government. Mm-hmm. Gary, did you say earlier on that she has still not filed or not pulled a petition as of today? No, I didn't say that, and I'm I'm unsure oh. if she has pulled a petition or not. I don't know. When she got the endorsements, she hadn't. She had announced. Oh, yeah. When, when she got the endorsement, she had not even – not only had she not filed a petition, she had not even sent okay. a signal to anyone that she was even considering running. I don't even think the majority of us knew she was even in the state. But uh, actually, before the endorsement from the Save America PAC, because I saw an article on this – all she had done previously is she sent a tweet. She posted a tweet saying she was excited some months ago. She was excited about her new opportunities in Nashville. Hmm. And she was moving to Nashville. So do we know who is funding the lawsuit and, and anything about the people who are filing this lawsuit? I know they're voters, right? Three, yeah, so, three voters from the 5th District. So I, I don't know much yet. I'm looking at an article that talks about the lawsuit. And so there the parties to the lawsuit, the three there are three plaintiffs, Barbara Collins, Amy Dudley, and Donald Sobery, who are all voters in the 5th Congressional District. They are being represented by a law firm out of Washington, D.C., by the name of Dickinson Wright. And by the way, th- that alone is kind of funny, isn't it? If, if you're, t- I, I know all of these election lawyers, they reside in D.C., 
But you would think if you're arguing for your position to be able to run and represent Tennesseans, that at least the face of your lawsuit would be a local. A Tennessee firm? Yeah, like yeah. a Nashville firm. That's be, what I would have done. Fair enough if you, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. I mean, strategically, right? right? Why wouldn't you at least hide, like, you can get all your advice from this D.C. firm, but hire a Nashville firm to run this lawsuit. That, that you're just, you're just kind of, if, if I'm the, um, again, whoever's funding this, and I'm trying to take the position that she's going to represent the people of Tennessee, then yes, absolutely. Choose a Nashville law firm to represent you. Yeah, it's a D.C. law firm. I, I saw, so I can neither confirm or deny. I, I have not confirmed this. I'm unsure. I'm only saying I saw another article saying that this lawsuit was being funded by a super PAC, and I can only at this point assume that the lawsuit is being funded by the Save America PAC, uh, which is President Trump's PAC, uh, which would make sense because he made this endorsement. This is egg on his face. This is Tennessee's clear repudiation of his endorsement of a candidate that we don't even know, even though Tennessee certainly is Trump territory and predominantly in the past has supported Trump and voted for Trump. I would I would garner that his approval rating in our state is well over 80%. So this is this is Trump country. But I think freedom loving, you know, conservative people in Tennessee don't take kindly to outsiders coming in purporting that they know what's best for us in our state that don't even live here. And I think that's just where we are. Was there any do we have a vote count on this this legislation? passed pretty quickly, right? Yes. And it, it passed overwhelmingly. I don't know the numbers. I don't have them in front of me, but it was overwhelmingly in the affirmative. And it, you know, it did get amended. The first, again, this all had to do with constitutional issues. The first version of the bill was not a residency requirement. It was a voting requirement. So you had to have so many votes in the state yep. of Tennessee. Yep. That was seen to pose some constitutional issues. So they amended it to a residency requirement and to strengthen the argument constitutionally, instead of writing in a residency requirement, they simply stated that it needs to mimic the requirements for our state General Assembly members per our Tennessee Constitution. So I, I, have, a, I have an interesting question to, to propose if this legislation were, it was passed without much resistance, which means you have establishment Republicans who have been <laughs> impeding every opportunity to protect liberty for the past at least two years, would you say that's correct, right? Oh, we, we got legislation that went through really quickly here. So yes. it had to have the support of a lot of people who haven't been supporting our other issues. Yes. Right? Okay, so put sit that aside for a minute. We don't know, but... I would love to know, and we can maybe dig and find out who is funding the lawsuit. But let's let's say if the lawsuit is being funded by a Trump super PAC. The Save America PAC. Yeah. Right. Think of this for a second. You have the Trump super PAC. It, 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 didn't Trump endorse our governor? Mm. He did. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, Trump is endorsing our governor, and yet we have our legislature seeking to undermine one of Trump's other endorsements in the same state. And what what does that say about the value of Trump's endorsement? What's that say about this power struggle? Who's going to win this power struggle? Who is fighting against? Are they are they eating themselves here? I think it's a really interesting question. To if if it is, I, I we don't know the answer. But if 
if indeed the Trump super PAC, what would you, you call it again? Save America. Save America. Save America. If that is the one of the parties funding this lawsuit, then they're funding um, a battle in the state where they've already endorsed the governor of that state, which is I find to be a very interesting conundrum. Mm. You know, I hadn't really thought about that. And I think, you know, so we had Trump endorse uh, Bill Haggerty for state senate. Uh, Bill Lee for governor, and now Morgan Ortega's for U.S. Congress. And look, I have to—I'll say this: I think, I think these endorse. And you know, you talked about endorse that you really could care less. And honestly, that's proving true for me personally. You know, I I appreciated very much was was a fan and a supporter of President Trump while he was in office. I appreciate everything he did. Huge supporter of his policies. I wish he was still in office. I voted for President Trump. Mm-hmm. However, very disappointed in these endorsements. And to some degree, I'm like, man, who's advising you these things? And you should consider the fact that conservatives on the ground know a lot more about our state than you do. And maybe you should just simply back off and allow conservatives in the state of Tennessee to make their own decisions because, sir, you're making some really bad endorsements here. I mean, I've I've done events from Memphis to Bristol all across the state of Tennessee over the past two years. And I can tell you, when, when you talk about grassroots conservatives who are mainly people I speak to, uh, anywhere from rooms of 10 to rooms of 1,000, okay, They are not big supporters of how Bill Lee has led the state over the last two years. And I'm I'm not here to speak ill of – I don't really deal in federal issues. I'm not here to speak ill of U.S. Senator Bill Haggerty. But I will say that for the most part – Conservatives in the state supported Manny, Dr. Manny Sethi for Senate. He he handily, by the way, handily won every county in Middle Tennessee, uh, and somehow still lost U.S. Senate. And uh, and you know what was funny about the Manny Sethi and Bill Haggerty race is that Manny Sethi was a Trump supporter, mm-hmm. a hardcore Trump supporter. So when you think about a Trump endorsement in that race. You have nothing to gain by making endorsement. Just let conservatives on the ground choose their candidate. Which which suggests, and I think we know this is happening, that these endorsements, uh, it doesn't take culpability away from the candidate, in this case Trump. But so many of these endorsements are made, we know, by wink nod, exchange of money. Money. And and they're made by people, people who are a step or two below the actual person giving the endorsement. Whether it's the people running the pack, whether it's the people, it's the people pushing the buttons and maneuvering who are saying, okay, you give me X, I'll give you Y. You do this for me, I'll scratch your back. And therefore, poof, all of a sudden there's an endorsement that appears. Well, you mentioned money, but I mean, let's be honest. I'm not a huge fan of the guy, Trump's policies. I've been a fan of, but not the guy. Right. So you mentioned money, but there's, there's a whole nother aspect that's a lot deeper than that. I mean, like Trump loves Trump. Yeah. And so I, Trump loves the fact— We all know that. Trump loves the fact that he can give an ad- endorsement and people grovel over it. Like, yep. I think that's just, that's part of the reason why Trump just loves to do the Trump thing and endorse people. And I think people in Tennessee—I don't know, you know, what's going on in the other states with respect to who he has endorsed and who he has not, but I think they're going to be faced with a very—well, we, we've seen this across the state, Gary. Uh, we have conservatives asking us that same question. Why in the world is President Trump— whom they supported and loved, supporting Governor Lee, whom they don't support and love. And that that presents a real challenge to them. And this is why I get back to the point, which is why they should. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We know know that. But 
a lot of people don't understand it. They, they get the impression, and that's, of course, the impression that the people who seek the endorsements seek, the impression that, oh, Donald Trump believes in all the policies of Bill Lee and he's buddies with him and has chosen. It's like, no, this is not why this has happened. And I think it's important that in this election alone, we said this before, Donald Trump, remembers a huge supporter of vaccines. Mm-hmm. There's nobody who is liberty-minded who is in support of vaccines. So that alone, aside from his endorsement of the governor, doesn't that make you question, hmm, I did support Donald Trump. I did vote for Donald Trump and all of the all of the reasons that you supported him. But now here is a guy who is a strong vaxxer still to this day. Yeah, Operation Warp Speed was quite a conundrum. Yeah. Me. Couldn't wrap my head around it. And now he's endorsing candidates. Maybe you ought to think twice or three times about your support for Trump in that regard. I know it's hard for people to think through this, but you need to think critically. Hmm. That's good. So, I mean, you know, look, the bottom line is I'm I'm torn. Honestly, I'm torn on this issue of, you know, from a, a constitutional perspective on what does it mean to be an inhabitant? Do we, do we need to lean 100% on the United States Constitution in terms of these federal offices? Do states have a right to bring um, further requirements to the folks we select for federal office. I, I, I would, I would, in my gut right now where I am, I would say yes. I would say states have that right. But the way we, sh- but look, you know, here's my problem with the bill, though. I'm not saying we don't have the right to do it. My, my problem with the bill is it's, it's crystal clear. I, I'll say two things. It's crystal clear that the only reason we brought this bill forth to make this additional requirement was to keep one person off the ballot. Yep. I have a problem with that. That's at the end of the day, it's undemocratic. It's unbecoming. I don't like it. Especially when you combine that, Gary, with how quickly this happened, right? Yes. Pick a target. And all of a sudden, right, for two years, we have not been able to pass any kind of legislation, meaningful legislation to seriously protect our liberties. But we can do this. Snap your finger like that. And you have legislation, as you said, in its um, content, it doesn't mention her name, but everybody knows this is targeted at keeping one candidate out of the state. And that is an issue. But can we keep Ortegas off the ballot, as Barack Obama used to say? Yes, we can. (laughs) Why why would they want to keep Ortegas off the ballot? I, you know, I think it's just a pride thing, to be honest. They they don't want anybody outside of Tennessee telling us what to do. And I, and I look, and that I, that I, part I you got to respect. Yeah. I understand that. Here's here's the second thing. The last thing I'll say. Another reason I don't like this bill. There was an amendment on the bill that would have made it effective in 2024. I'll just say for the record, I supported that amendment. Here's why. I don't think it was right for legislators to come in and change the rules of the game in the middle of the game. I have a problem with that. I have, I have a problem that in the middle of an existing election, the legislature decided to come in and change the rules, specifically not only to take someone off the ballot, but to change the rules in the middle of an election process. Mm, which, point. which alone could be a constitutional issue. I wonder if that's <clears throat> wonder if that's part of the lawsuit. Could be. Almost like an ex post facto law. Ex post facto law. Yeah. Um, you can't go change the nature of a contract or whatever, you know, while it's while when, when it's already done. Yep. 
Mm. So I, I have I have a problem with that. That's that seems that sounds like using the strong arm of government for your own outcome, mm-hmm. for your own advantage, and I, I don't like it. Had they, if you want to change the law, fine, but make it effective for the next election cycle. Yeah. And, and we know they can do that because haven't they done that with any of the liberty? <laughs> yeah. Right. Some of the legislation that we've talked about on this program. They've said, okay, it applies later, or at least some of the amendments that have been suggested to protect our liberties. Okay, not now, but down the road. Yeah. So we know that they're capable of delaying legislation or the effective date of it. Wait, well, when it when it benefits us. <laughs> yeah, that's, what, that's, that's, that's <laughs> what I'm saying, kind of with the wink nod, right? We yeah, know they're capable right. of it. They're capable of making, uh, protecting freedom to a certain degree and then having it expire at a certain Ex- point. Yeah, that too. So why can't they, why can't you just do the other way? And, and maybe this legislation should expire, what was that, July 2023? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah it'll, it'll expire before the next election. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. Just uh, like just like our, our, our rights to our own health care. Uh well I had a, I had a couple other things to get to but we've I we mean we've hit time that. yeah well we'll save that for ammunition for another another episode so uh, Joe Rogan always still welcome always got a seat right heard, there I'm looking you know right this at it. this week uh, he he issued a little threat to Spotify did, you did see he really that? I yeah didn't see he that. did he's because he's I don't know what it was he said but uh, I guess they threatened to they threatened to sort of you know, squash him a little bit. He, he kind of gave him the bird. He's All like, right. I'll, I'll leave. Yeah. I'll leave, suckers. <laughs> he should. I'll leave and go co-host the Freedom Matters podcast right now. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> one time. Think of, think of all the hits we'd get. That's one all time. it takes. Just one time, Joe. Just show up. That's all I need you to do. Got a chair right there. Uh, till then, you can uh, leave ratings and reviews for us on Apple and Spotify. So to go and do that helps out the show. And then uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks, John. Thanks, Gary. Good stuff. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Matters podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. And remember... As revolutionary Thomas Paine once stated, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigues of supporting it.